Well, it's good to see you tonight. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. If by chance I make random groaning noises during the message, please know I should be okay. But uh, I did four post holes this week with post hole diggers. And I did about 3,000 squats, it felt like, trying to get the dirt out of the hole and then doing everything that you have to do. My legs have not hurt this bad. I felt like an old, old, old man a while ago trying to come up the steps. And uh, anyway, so if I groan, some of you will recognize that sound and uh, just think nothing of it. And I'd like to begin tonight by commending uh, everyone for Sunday night and how well it went. I think Sunday night was a great service. And uh, I want you to know I appreciate everybody who worked to make it a special night. And uh, I think it was very effective in at least getting some exposure for our church and uh, getting our name out there to some people. And so I think that was a blessing and I think that was a benefit. And it looks a lot different tonight than it did Sunday night. But that is what it is. Uh, we do need to be in prayer for those who may not know. Uh, they had to take uh, Brother Dub and Mary had to take Kelly to the emergency room last night, and she's been admitted over in Amarillo, and uh, she is in ICU right now. So we need to be in prayer for uh, Kelly and uh, Mary, who is over there with her, and Brother Dub is on the road trying to get back from New Mexico, and then we need to continue to pray for uh, Miss Birdie, and uh, there's someone else I was going to mention. Yeah, uh, Brother Jim is still having issues with kidney stones, so continue to be in prayer for Brother Jim. Yeah, and Brandy had her appendix taken out yesterday, so uh, we got quite a bit going. Yes, Susie? Gallbladder. Okay, gallbladder appendix, all in the same general area, but uh, it was a gallbladder. Okay, so be in prayer for Brandy, and uh, we'll take more requests at the end of the service, but that's just some of the things to be mindful of as we get into the service tonight. Okay, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we will get started. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you uh, for the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight to communicate it in a way that it'd be a help. Lord, I thank you for the song that uh, we just sang about setting our soul afire. Lord, it is so easy for the fire to uh, die down many times in our Christian life. And we're not really the Christian in so many ways that we ought to be. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight we'd just be reminded of the simple truth of your word and, Lord, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts and uh, that you'd help us to be refreshed this evening and renewed in our walk with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago, we began looking at the life of Joseph, and you may remember that I began the study by reminding us that Joseph was a man who chose to do right throughout the entire course of his life. I've tried to emphasize, obviously, that he was not a perfect man, but he was a man who chose to do what was right. And I tried to remind us that we, regardless of our circumstances, can choose to do what is right. It just has to be a desire of ours. Will I do what is right? And we cannot blame our circumstances. We cannot blame our situations. We cannot blame our past. We cannot blame... Uh, anything, if we want to do what is right, we can do what is right. And Joseph is a wonderful, wonderful example of that. And then last week, we watched as God gave Joseph two different dreams. And in these dreams, he uh, spoke of how God elevated him to a position of authority, so much so that his own family would be bowing down to him and giving, giving reverence to him. 
And I tried to stress last week that these were not ambitions that Joseph had, but these were dreams that God gave him. And as a result of the dreams that God gave him, he was not more popular amongst his family. He was less popular with his family. And I tried to remind us last week that God still gives dreams, not in the sense of anything weird or anything strange, but God does place within us a burden and a desire and a dream to accomplish something. And many times, whenever we express the dream that God has laid on our heart, it does not make us more popular with those who don't have a dream. And many times it just invites the criticism, it just invites the negative energy, it invites the insults. Uh, A lot of things happen when you begin to live according to the dream that God has placed within your life. But we also talked last week in verse number 11 how it said the brethren envied Joseph. His brothers were jealous of him. And so many times, whether people would admit it or not, the world looks at a believer living according to God's leadership in their lives, and they just can't understand how someone living such a a simple-minded life, just serving the Lord and letting God take care of everything else, they cannot understand how that leads to peace and to joy and to contentment, and yet it does. And so we have to just let those who don't like us or let those who don't care for our dreams, we have to let them go and we can't let them drag us down, and we have to stay faithful to the dream that God gives us, okay? So that is where we're at, and tonight we're going to continue on in verse number 12 down through verse number 23. Before we do, let me just share a quick thought with you just to kind of try to set the stage and to give us an idea as to where the message is headed. I know that most of you know this, that before coming here, I spent a few months selling cars, and I've talked about this on different occasions, so I'll not spend a long time with this, but uh, I worked in a part of town there in Tulsa, Uh, where the rich developments were at, where the wealthy lived. And so uh, whenever I went to work there, I had to wear a shirt and a tie and dress pants and everything like that every day. There was nothing casual about the setting that I worked in those four months. So I would go to work every day, and all of us, all the men had on shirts and ties, and, and everybody looked sharp, but that was the end of it. Once you got past the appearance That was one of the most ungodly, profane, immoral places you could work for. It was absolutely amazing the lifestyle that people lived that I worked with. Uh, It was just amazing how ungodly it was. And so real quick, just to try to set the stage, going into that environment as a Christian who had just left the staff of a church, it was not difficult to stand out in that crowd. I mean, these guys are talking about their drunken weekends. They're talking about their, their visits to certain places that no man ought to ever be found in. Uh, they're, they're using language that no person ought to ever use. And so they made it very easy for me to stand out. And as a result of standing out and as a result of being different than them in so many different ways, quickly I was able to gain some favor by the grace of God with some of my bosses. And so here's what happened. A couple of months into working there, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was taking place. But but I got called to the office. And in being called to the office, I found out that one of our managers had just sold a car over the phone that did not involve a salesperson. I know you don't care about this, but I promise you there's a point. 
Whenever that would happen, they would give that deal to a salesman, and so basically it was like receiving a several hundred dollar bonus by way of commission because technically nobody sold the car, but they had to give credit to it to someone. So I got called to the office just soon after I had been there, just been there a couple of months, and the manager said, hey, I just sold a car, you're getting the credit for it, and go on your way. So naturally I'm thankful for this. Well, I didn't understand this at the time, but I caught on pretty quick. What they called that was a house deal. A house deal. And whoever received the house deal was called a house mouse. Now, that was not meant to be a term of affection. It was kind of like being called the teacher's pet. It was kind of like being called the brown noser or the suck-up or a lot of other words you could use to define that spirit or that attitude. And so here I was, really new into the environment, new into the setting, but, but because I was so different than everyone else, again, I kind of gained this favor with the bosses. And, and so whenever they had this chance to give the house deal to the house mouse, guess who the house mouse was? I was. And I felt guilty all the way to the bank. You call me house mouse every day of the week, I don't mind. But here's what I'd like us to think about in that situation, in that deal, and I'm going to talk about this more, obviously, in a couple of moments. But for me to just show up every day and just do what I was supposed to do without the profanity, without the yelling, without the crude and vulgar language, without, you know, griping and arguing and frustrating the, the, with the bosses and, and frustrating them, with me just going to work and trying to do my job made me vulnerable to the animosity of my coworkers. Again, the, the, the little statement, house mouse, that was not intended as a compliment. And so we know what I'm talking about because I would imagine many of you have been in a similar situation like this. I would imagine even children in the room tonight have been uh, exposed to something like this. They're just trying to be a good kid. They're just trying to be a good student. They're just trying to do what the teacher tells them to do. And naturally, whenever they're behaving that way, there is someone who just has to make fun of them. Oh, yeah, that's the way you are. That's why the teacher's being so kind to you. And, and just trying to do what you're supposed to do invites, again, just the, the animosity toward those people on your life. Now, tonight, in thinking about that principle, notice in verse number 12. In verse number 12, it says this, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, I know that you know this, but I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Whenever it speaks of his brethren, this is talking about Joseph's brothers. Okay? And so we're talking about the ten older brothers of Joseph. And it says in verse number 12 that his brethren went to feed their father's flock, their father being Jacob or uh, Israel, as you see in verse number 13, and it gives the location as to where they fed the flock, that being in the place in the region of Shechem. 
Now, if you notice at the last part of verse number uh, 14, it says that, they, that Joseph went out from the vale of Hebron and came to Shechem. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But here's what I want us to understand is that right now where Joseph is living with his family, it is in this area of Hebron and, the, and his brothers are taking the flocks of Jacob and Israel up to this region of Shechem. And if you look at it on a map as the bird flies, it's about a 35-mile trip. Now, obviously, it would not be a straight shot from Hebron to Shechem, okay? And so this would have been somewhat of a difficult journey. This would have been somewhat of a tedious journey, especially if you were amongst the brethren who were trying to get the sheep from one location to another location. And so here they are, and they're taking their father's flock to Shechem. And I don't know if there were unusual circumstances that led to this. I don't know if this was something they would have done on an annual basis. But nonetheless, they are taking their sheep on about a 35 to 40-mile trip. And this would have been a very difficult thing to do. And seemingly they're going to be gone for a while, all right? They're going to be gone for some amount of time, and it's going to uh, require them to be out of contact and out of touch, so to speak, with home base. Just make sense? All right. So there's no way to communicate the father with the brothers, the brothers with the father or anyone else. And so notice what it says in verse number 13. It says, And Israel said unto Joseph, that being Jacob, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? That is the assumption. I have sent your brothers with the flock to Shechem. I am assuming that no matter the fact they've been gone X amount of days or X amount of weeks, I am assuming that this is where they are still at, okay? And so based upon that assumption, he says, Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he, that being Joseph, said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, in verse number 14, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he went, so he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now we know from the story, if we know the story at all, that Joseph is about to travel alone from the Hebron to Shechem. Now, a 35-mile trip, roughly, I don't know how many days that would have taken on foot based upon the terrain and everything that was involved there, but I have to believe for the fact that Joseph was traveling alone that Jacob, the father, assumed this would have been a relatively safe trip. Does this make sense? I don't think as much as Jacob loved Joseph that he would have sent him out alone if he had assumed there was some kind of danger in this trip. So there had to have been an assumption on Jacob's part, on Israel's part, that Joseph would be able to get to the brethren in a good amount of time. He'd be able to check on the circumstances. He'd be able to, to check on the situation, get a feel as to what's going on, and bring a report back and only be gone a, a certain amount of time. And so Joseph is more than willing and more than ready and more than, than happy to do what he has been commanded to do. So in verse number 14, apparently Joseph leaves and he finally makes his way to Shechem. I don't know if it was three days later, four days later, five days. Who knows what it would have been. But Joseph eventually gets there. And notice what it says. It says in the middle of verse number 15, he was wandering in the field. He was wandering in the field. What's going on here? Well, Joseph has made his way to where he believes Shechem is at. Or where his brothers are at in Shechem. 
Now, now follow this logic for just a moment and see if this is logical, okay? If you've got ten brothers watching sheep, you probably ought to be able to find them pretty quickly. I would suspect that ten men watching X number of sheep, you would think that if they're in this central area or this central region, it would be fairly easy to find them. And so I want us to understand that whenever it says that Joseph made his way to Shechem and he was wandering in the field, I don't want us to think that he was just kind of out in a wide open pasture wandering around saying, I wonder where they're at. Like kids are sometimes prone to do, right? Maybe you walk into a small building and just kind of look around and do kind of a half-hearted, lazy look and say, I wonder where it's at or I wonder where they're at. Okay, for Joseph to be looking for 10 men with all the sheep that they would have been watching, probably a couple hundred would be a safe bet to, to assume. Joseph is not just wandering in this small area. He would have been wandering in a large amount of space. Now again, how old is Joseph at this time? He's 17 years old. I don't know what you were like when you were 17. But I know what I was like when I was 17. If dad and mom had just sent me out on a 35-mile trip as the crow flies, and I'm not a crow, if dad and mom have just sent me out on a 35-mile trip and I'm going uphill and downhill and, and around and I'm doing all of this and I finally get to where my brothers and the sheep are supposed to be and I've wandered all over the region and all over the, the area trying to find them, what is your tendency probably going to be at age 17? Well, if your tendency would be anything like my tendency, you know what I'd say? Guess they're not here. And head home. That's what I would have done. But notice what it says in verse number 15. It says, And a certain man found him, that being Joseph, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? What are you looking for? Verse number 16, And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. So Joseph explains to this man that he's looking for his brother and for his flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now, for you and I, that doesn't really mean anything to us because probably it would take you a few moments to find Hebron on a Bible map. From there, it would take you a couple of moments to find Shechem on a Bible map. And from there, you would say, well, where in the world is Dothan? Well, you'd have to continue traveling to the north and to the west a little bit by about another 13 miles. Now, again, for you and I, in the way that we think, 13 miles is nothing. 13 miles is a 15-minute drive at best if we've got good traffic and good speed and things of that nature. If we've got a wide-open road, 13 miles, it's a 10-minute drive. 13 miles for us is nothing, but 13 miles back in their day was a considerable amount of space and, and, and distance to cover. So here's Joseph, and he could have heard, your brothers have gone to Dothan. But they were supposed to be in Shechem. Thirteen more miles? That's at least another day's travel. So I'm going to have at least one more day of travel out that far. And then obviously coming back, it's going to be another day coming back. 
So you've just now added two days to my trip. Now, now follow this. He's not even guaranteed that once he gets to Dothan, that they will be at Dothan. So here is Joseph, and he could be, for lack of better terms, on a wild goose chase. Because the brothers have already left where they were supposed to be according to the direction of their father. Now, you've you got to follow this. Here is Joseph, and it would have been so easy as a 17-year-old to make the trip to Shechem, as he was instructed to do, realize the brothers are not here, and just by nature go back home and say to Dad, Dad, they weren't at Shechem, I did what you told me to do. But what did Joseph know? Joseph knew his father's heart. Joseph knew his dad wanted a report on the brethren and the sheep. So here is Joseph, and he hears that the brothers and the sheep are now in Dothan. Joseph has no more information to go on than what this man has told him who saw him wandering in the field. And so Joseph begins to make the trip to Dothan. What is Joseph doing? His job. He's doing his job. And as he's doing his job, notice what happens. He makes himself vulnerable to the attack of those who despise him. You following this? Joseph could have done the bare minimum. Joseph could have gone to Shechem, said, they're not here. Oh, well, I guess I go home and tell Dad I don't know where they're at. If Joseph would have done the bare minimum that was required of him, Joseph would have been safe from the human standpoint. But because Joseph did not do the bare minimum that was required of him, but that he actually did what was expected of him and what was implied of him, that I want you to do this, son, as a result of Joseph doing what he was instructed to do, he made himself vulnerable to the attack of those who despised him. How do we know? Notice in verse number 18, you see his vulnerability. It says, and when they saw him afar off, who is the they a reference to? It's a reference to the brothers. How did they know this was Joseph? Because probably from what we can tell in verse number three, it had something to do with the coat of many colors that his father had made him. This would have been something that stood out. This would have been something that got the attention. And so notice what it says in verse number 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them. So here is Joseph, and they see him from a great way off. They see him from a great distance away. And he cannot see them necessarily, but they can see him. And before he can get near to them, notice what it says. It says, they conspired against him to slay him. Do you see how vulnerable Joseph is right now? 
He is simply trying to do what he is supposed to do. He is simply trying to do what he has been commissioned to do. If he had done the bare minimum, he would have gone to Shechem. He would have said, nope, they're not here. He would have turned around. He would have gone home and said, Dad, I don't know where they're at. And, and, and everything would have blown over and everything would have been fine. But as a result of his obedience to the commission he was given, he was made vulnerable to the point that he had no idea that he was making the final steps to where his brothers were at. They were conspiring to slay him. Notice what it says in verse number 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. They had time to conspire. They had time to mock. And it says in verse number 20, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You see how vulnerable Joseph is right now? The brothers are conspiring. The brothers are coming up with plans. The brothers are mocking. The brothers are, are, are just having a good time at Joseph's expense. And notice how much time they also had in verse number 21. It says, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hand, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. See, Reuben had time to process everything that the other nine brothers were saying, and Reuben was able to hear everything that they were conspiring. And Reuben said, Listen, let's not slay him. Let's just throw him in the pit. And whenever the brothers were gone, Reuben had the intentions to go back to Joseph and get him out of the pit and deliver him. But that's not obviously going to happen. But again, here's what I want us to see. Because of Joseph's obedience to the command of his father, he was vulnerable to the attacks of those who despised him. Well, big deal. Well, it is a big deal. For this reason, whenever you do your job, you make yourself vulnerable to those who don't like you. It's true at work, is it not? I mean, have you ever been the person at work who just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm just going to do what the boss tells me to do, and I'm not going to get caught up in all the games and all the shenanigans and, and, and all the goofiness that takes place at work? If you've ever been that kind of a mindset, if you've ever been that kind of an attitude, you know that you become the butt of the jokes that take place in the workforce. If you decide, you know what, I'm just going to go to school every day as a student. I'm just going to do what the teachers tell me. I'm just going to do what the coaches tell me. I'm just going to do what the principal tells me. And I'm, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to cause problems. I'm not going to horseplay. I'm not going to goof off and all these other things. I, I can promise you that invites the, the attack of those who can't stand that kind of an attitude. Now, I say all that for a reason, because I want us to understand, and, and I know that you know this, and I feel somewhat silly even saying this tonight, but I want to remind us tonight that things are no different for you and I in the Christian life. See, as children of God, we've been commissioned with a task to serve the Lord. As a child of God, I've been commissioned to do certain things in obedience to God's will for my life. 
As a child of God, God has commissioned me and God has commissioned you, maybe in different areas, but God has commissioned us to do certain things in our lives. Now, I don't want to be rude and I don't want to be offensive or insult anyone here tonight, but let me just throw this out here for us to consider because it is true more than we care to recognize, and that is this, that there are many people who are striving to do the bare minimum that is required of them in the Christian life. What is the least amount I have to do as a child of God and, in, and not invite the chastening of the Lord in my life? Bare minimum. How often do I have to come to church? How much do I have to give? What do I have to do? What am I not allowed to say? What am I not allowed to eat? What am I not allowed to drink? What am I not allowed to smoke? What am I not allowed to do? do you just, just, I, I want to do the bare minimum of what is required of me as a Christian. I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are a lot of people, and I'm sure you do, but there are a lot of people who just want to do the bare minimum of what is asked of them or what is required of them in their Christian life. And in doing so, let me remind us of this, and again, I know you know this, but let me remind us to only do the bare minimum by way of obedience to the Lord keeps you safe from your peers. So I don't know exactly what you mean. Nobody cares that we call ourselves Christian. Nobody cares. Over half the nation would call themselves a Christian in one form or another because that's just kind of how they identified themselves. So to call ourselves a Christian, for an individual to call themselves a Christian, there is nothing wrong with that declaration in and of itself. Let me just say this one more time. It is safe to call yourself a Christian. Peers don't care about that. But you know what they do care about? When you begin going above and beyond what was expected of you, theoretically, in the Christian life. So your, your co-workers don't care that you call yourself a Christian. But start living the Christian life around them. And you know what you'll make yourself? You'll make yourself vulnerable to their attacks because they will grow to despise working around a Christian co-worker. Go to your family reunions, your family activities, and don't compromise and don't give in and don't fudge just a little bit and don't make allowances here and there for them. Go to those family activities, go to those family functions and live the Christian life in front of them the exact same way you would live it here at church in front of everyone else. And you know what you're doing? You are inviting the criticism and, and the hatred and the, and the disdain of people, not because you're now calling yourself a Christian, but because you're actually living the Christian life. Nobody cares that we call ourselves Christians, but the day we live the Christian life is the day we begin making ourselves vulnerable 
because that's when you become, oh, the self-righteous one. Oh, you're the holier than thou. Oh, you're the goody two-shoes. Oh, you're the one who thinks you're better than everyone else. That's where the criticisms begin. That's where the conspiring begins. That's where the mocking begins. And that's where they begin to have a wonderful time at your expense because you're trying to do what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Seems obvious enough, but to take it a step further, no one cares that we're at church tonight. I've got a pretty good view from where I'm at, and so as I'm preaching and I'm looking out the window, you can see cars driving by. No one cares that we're here tonight. I can promise you there is nobody mad at us right now for assembling. However, Take the preaching that you hear at church and begin applying it to your lives, which I know many of you do. I'm just saying, do that and do it in front of them. And you know what you make yourself? You make yourself vulnerable to the attacks of those who despise the life you're now living. Doing what we're supposed to be doing invites and makes ourselves vulnerable to the, the hatred that people have for us doing our job. And it just continues on and on and on. Shouldn't have to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Everyone likes seeing everyone here at church. I don't, I don't know if you sensed this Sunday night. I don't know how you couldn't have sensed this. I think everyone thoroughly had a wonderful time Sunday night. It was great fellowship. It was wonderful fellowship. It was, it was exciting to have the pews full and to have people saying amen. And, 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 and it was just good. And it was electric around here. And it, it was just exciting. And, and, and every bit of that was good. Nobody had a problem with any of it. But you know what I can promise you even amongst church family? There are people who don't mind coming to church and enjoying the fellowship and everything that goes with it. But that's the safe part of Christianity. Many times, even in a church setting, choosing to live in obedience to the Word of God makes us vulnerable to the attacks from those within the church because now you're just getting carried away with the whole idea. I'm sure you've heard people do things like this before, even in a church setting. Just kind of mumble things under their breath about certain people because they're just a little too... They're just a little too dedicated to the cause of Christ. They're just a little too committed to the cause of Christ. They, they, they just take the, the Christian life a bit too serious. And even within the ranks of those in the church, we can make ourselves vulnerable to the attack simply because we're trying to live in obedience to God's Word. And so tonight, I wish there were more people here to ask this question, but it is what it is, so I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask myself this question.
Are we up to the challenge? Are we up to the challenge? Knowing the Word of God, knowing the expectation of God, knowing what the orders are, knowing that if we truly live and walk in obedience to the Word of God for our lives, that that will bring about a vulnerability in us where people will begin to despise and attack everything that we are now a part of. Are we up for the challenge? I truly believe, for whatever it's worth, I truly believe there are people in this church who are up to the challenge. And if you want to mock me, if you want to despise me, if you want to hate me, if you want to call me names, if you want to assume that I'm holier than thou or you think that that's my position, if, if that's the way you want to view me, if you want to be negative, if you don't want to invite me to the family functions or, or whatever it may be, hey, if that's what it requires, I'm good with that. I believe there are people in here who are of that mindset. But I believe there are also people in this church, ours not excluded, I believe there are people in our church who think they're up for the challenge with no realization or ability to acknowledge just how many times they resort back to where it's safe. Well, I don't want to be vulnerable with these people. Well, I don't want to be vulnerable to the attack with family. I don't want to be vulnerable to the attack with, with my friends. I don't want to be vulnerable to their attack, whether it be with, with this, this group of people or, or this group of people, whoever it may be. There are many people that say, well, I'm up for the challenge, but it's amazing the number of times you would watch them begin to compromise so as to find that safe place to where they can avoid the attack from those who despise them. And then again, our church not being excluded from this, there are people who, if they would just be honest, they'd have to say something like this. You know what? It's not worth it to me. It's not worth it to me. I am going to play it safe. I'm going to do the bare minimum. I am going to do the least that is required of me in my Christian life. So if this is all I've got to do to feel good, then that's all I'm going to do. And if this is all that's asked of me, then this is all I'm going to do. And if so-and-so says we've got to do this, then, then that's what I'll do. I, I am, I'm, I'm saddened by this, and I'm truly frustrated by this sometimes, but I am convinced there are people in our own church family who, if they would just be honest, they'd have to say this, I am not interested in making myself vulnerable, so I would rather obey the whims of my peers than to obey the commands of my Father. Are we up to the challenge? Because it will be a challenge. Whenever you and I decide to live above the bare minimum that is required of us in our spiritual lives, we become vulnerable immediately. Are we prepared for that, and are we willing for whatever it cost us? I know that Joseph didn't know what was coming his way as he made the final steps to his brother. I know that we don't know what will come our way as we take steps in this life, but we've got to ask ourselves, am I willing to be vulnerable to the attack of those who hate me 
simply because of my obedience. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight just to be willing to answer the question as to where we're at right now. God, I know that some are striving truly to live in obedience on a daily basis with you. And Lord, they, they are fully aware of the, the attack that comes their way on a regular basis because of it. Lord, if some were honest tonight, even with the crowd that we have this evening, if some were honest tonight, they'd have to admit far too many times they just go ahead and compromise and they just blend in so as to make life a little bit easier for them and a little bit safer. God, I pray that you'd help them tonight to realize the need to just be obedient no matter what. God, I pray for those who might have to admit this evening that they're not even really trying to be obedient. Lord, would you help them this evening to recognize the, the fault in that way of thinking? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you'd like a moment to pray, you've got time. Mm -hmm.